Hello, and welcome to the Made to Lead podcast, a show where we tell the personal and professional stories of amazing people of African descent who are leading in their own way. I'm your host, Aziz Garuba, and on each episode, I interview a dynamic individual and discuss their achievements, challenges, dreams, and aspirations, and the lessons they've learned along the way. These candid conversations are meant to showcase their superb talents and leadership philosophies with the hope that it inspires you because you were also made to lead. If you're listening for the first time, I encourage you to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Made to Lead Show. Also visit our website, madetolead.co, for more information about each episode. On the show today, we have Chiedza Mutsaretza. She is a lawyer here in Toronto, working on Bay Street. Uh, she was born and raised in Harare, Zimbabwe, and left Zimbabwe when she was 18 years old to pursue her studies in law and international relations at the University of Cape Town. And during her time in, in, in Cape Town, she was involved in student governance and led projects that aimed to connect female students, uh, mainly students of color, uh, to executives of companies such as Deloitte, PwC, Standard Bank, McKinsey, uh, and also to promote social entrepreneurship. Uh, and after she finished uh, at UCT, uh, Chiedza decided to relocate to Toronto uh, with the ultimate goal of practicing law with a, with a big, big name law firm uh, on, on Bay Street. And she was able to complete her master's in law, her LLM in international business law at Osgoode Hall Law School. Uh, and she was called to the Ontario Bar in June of 2019. Uh, she's now a practicing lawyer at a Bay Street law firm, and she focuses on employment law, privacy, and cybersecurity. So welcome to the show, Chiedza. Thank you so much for having me, Aziz. Awesome. So, uh, you know, let, let's talk about uh, your path to becoming uh, a lawyer, you know. Yeah, we, we understand where you went to school, but, you know, what was the motivation to, 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 to do law? Do I have to be honest? Yes, you do. Um, <laughs> okay, so basically what happened um, was that I actually always tell the story that I studied law by accident. And the accident being that um, I was always a student that wanted to be challenged. So at the time that I went to university, when I started university, I was taking, um, you know, I was taking politics, sociology, a couple of other courses, not to say those courses aren't challenging, but, you know, um, I wanted to be pushed a little bit more. And um, then what really pushed me on the edge, which is why I asked if we have to be honest, <laughs> was that um, one of my professors, um, for my one of my sociology courses, said to us, um, and I think this was in my second semester of first year, that just to let you guys know, you're going to be poor. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> that that's a so, that's a very interesting thing to hear as as an aspiring lawyer. Yeah, so I no, I was not aspiring to be a lawyer at all. Oh, like, okay, I did okay. not ever dream of becoming a lawyer at okay. all. So once you told me that, um, I think. You know, my mom would be very happy if she heard me saying this, that I um, I have acknowledged that I tend to have expensive taste here and there. <laughs> so um, so when she said that and I thought, OK, I want to be able to have a job that can allow me to afford a decent lifestyle, et cetera. Um, and I asked my friends, you know, that, OK, firstly, 
I want something that challenges me. And now she's telling me that I'm going to be poor. Like, really? (laughs) And so my friend then said, okay, you know, you could actually start law school in second year of university. So basically the way that um, law school works in South Africa is very pretty different um, from the North American system where I believe in North America, you have to do pre pre-law, which is basically an undergrad degree. And then you write the LSAT and you apply to law school. Now we, I'm way in South Africa. I'm actually from Zimbabwe, but where I went to school, uh, basically you could study law straight from high school or in the event that you applied to university and your grades weren't gritty, like not good enough to make it into law school, but you could make it into university. They would allow you to do first year of university and attain a certain average and then start your law school in second year of university. So I had no idea about all of this because again, I'd never thought of being a lawyer. I didn't think I was smart enough to be a lawyer actually. Um, So I'd worked really, really hard um, in my first year of university. I really wanted to be in the golden key uh, society, which is like the top 15% students of a faculty. And my mom just had gotten one. My mom had been studying her masters and she had gotten one. My mom is my role model. Um, one of my role models and, uh, growing up always wanted to be like her. So I said, you know, in my first year of university, I said, I want a golden key like my mom. And that enabled me to get a good average that allowed me to get into law school. So it was basically, you know, a case of I was not really challenged by what I was studying and I was told that I'll be poor <laughs> and I landed in law school. So it's not a, any inspirational story at all. <laughs> okay. Okay. No, that's good. That's good. And Hey, I mean, there's nothing as good as uh, being motivated by, by money to, to take a career path. That, that's always interesting. So, so you grew up in, you were born in, in, in Zimbabwe, you grew up in Harare. What was, what was that like? What was your upbringing uh, in Zimbabwe and, and before you then moved to, to South Africa, to Cape Town specifically? Right. Um, so I um, grew up on, I want to say I was very lucky to have grown up on the, you know, more privileged side of my society. So I went to private schools growing up, etc., cetera, uh, which was great because I got really good quality education, um, especially at the time that I went to school. Um, the, our country was going through some very e- tough economic times. I mean, that is still the case now, but we already, that's when things really started to get terrible. You know, there's lots of uh, food shortages, et cetera. The teachers in the public schools were striking, et cetera. And I was very lucky to be. I've been sheltered from that because I'd gone, I went to private schools. However, in high school, especially, I was not the smartest kid. I was a full on straight B and maybe sometimes C student, you know. So growing up in, um, in, in Arare or, you know, going to school for me, um, I was, I, I, I worked really, really hard, but I was not a confident student um, because everyone around me, I went to a very, very academic school where, you know, they would tell us to aim to go to Harvard, MIT, Yale, et cetera. And if you're going anywhere else, they, you know, they didn't really respect you, you know, or even get leadership uh, positions, et cetera. I, 
I always believed I was a leader, but I was not the smart kid. Right. Right. I was the very average kid who believed in herself a lot. Um, so I was not confident. I was not like, I knew what I was capable of, but I just didn't have the platform to do that. So, um, I carried on working hard, you know, and somehow some, you know, it worked out that I managed to, I didn't think my mom didn't even think I would get to university. <laughs> wow. I know. Wow. <laughs> so when I got into the university of Cape town, um, she's just like, you should go, you should go, you should go, <laughs> you know, because, um, you know, I think deep down, she was a little nervous about whether I would make it into university and the fact that this university, which is a very, very good university had taken me into their, um, humanities program. So, yeah, so that's how it was me growing up, um, personally on a personal level. I was yeah. not like, a uh, the super confident you know, not that I'm super confident now, I'm still working on that, mm. but I'm definitely a lot more confident than I was as a, as a, um, a teenager growing up in Zimbabwe. However, then just on a more general, uh, level, something I've just been reflecting on was that as much, in as much as I was not the most confident, um, you know, person, et cetera, um, I still believed in the validity of my dreams. Right. I still believe that I could be whatever I wanted to be. And I've just been chatting to friends about this lady. And I think it's because I grew up in a country where there were so many people who look like me, who were doing so well from themselves. You know, it was very normal for me to see black lawyers, black doctors, black engineers, black business men and women, you know. Um, and to me, that really made me feel, I never ever felt like the color of my skin or my gender or anything was a limitation on what I could achieve in life. So I, this is something that I've just been reflecting on as I've, you know, started living in Canada as a minority that I, I come with this my different mindset of having grown up in a country where I'm a majority. And not only that, in a country where I see black excellence and black, where black excellence is a norm. That's very, very insightful. I, I like what you said, you know, believing in the validity of your dreams. And, mm -hmm. and it's something that a lot of young people, um, and especially even young black women growing up in, in traditionally patriarchal societies, sometimes don't feel confident enough to do uh, and you've been able to to overcome that, um, and 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 as you mentioned, you know, you also were you weren't you didn't feel as confident as everyone else in this super you know luxurious private school, but hey, you made it into University of Cape Town, which is arguably one of the best universities in the African continent, yes, um, and 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 ranks highly uh, across the world as well. Mm -hmm. How was that transition? Uh, you know, moving from Zimbabwe, where there's crazy economic issues, mm -hmm. uh, to South Africa, which was, you know, uh, you know, has, has had probably gotten, gone through, you know, the 10, 15 years of post apartheid, uh, uh, economic growth and independence. What was that transition like for you? Honestly, I always look back at that transition as being one of the most powerful and impactful ones in my life because I got a chance to start over. Um, I, managed I was now in a different environment and literally as I got into my first year of university uh that was my first thing was that I can start on a fresh page 
I can be whoever I want to be. And, you know, in terms of my academics, I mentioned that, you know, my mom had gotten a golden key and, you know, I thought, you know, those bees that I got, whatever (laughs) in high school, they're gone. And now I can start from scratch and really, really put in what needs, not that I was not working hard in high school, I was working very, very hard. Um, So uh, that was the, the transition for me. I started on a new page. Academically, I was doing pretty well. Um, and also then I really got involved in leadership. So, because now, you know, leadership was more of, do you think you're capable? Whereas in high school, you know, it was the teachers and the, you know, headmistress in my case would determine your capability as a leader, but now it was up to me. And as I had mentioned before, I always knew that I capable of, leading something in my life, you know? So, um, I honestly, I loved being at UCT because it really allowed me to explore that, to build my leadership skills, to really, um, you know, clean up my academics. (laughs) Um, and I always actually tell my sister and her friends, cause they're in high school now that yes, work hard in high school, but that's, if it's not going okay, it's fine. You know, you can, you can look at me as an example that I was, did not have straight A's, but I work with people who have straight A's, you know? So, um, yeah, so that was the transition for me. It was just being able to start on a fresh page, um, really tap into what I knew I was capable of doing and succeeding at that as well. And, um, so that was on a personal level. And um, now just on a broader societal level, it was a bit challenging uh, because, you know, um, South Africa, I always say, is is, is a young democracy, right? Um, They're still very much healing from the wounds of apartheid. Um, So in terms of the division, it was very, very clear, right? And coming in as an African um, immigrant in South Africa was a challenge. Um, and this was not only um, from just, you know, just hanging out with other fellow students. I know some students were ashamed to say that they're from Zimbabwe. I was told by certain students that, you know, th- I mean, this one student literally asked me if I jumped the border <laughs> to be oh, in, wow. <laughs> in South Africa. Um, and, you know, all sorts of like these, like, you know, um, microaggressions right, towards, right. Um, you know, other African immigrants or African international students, as you want to put it. Um, so that was something I struggled with in South Africa. Then it then became worse because they, when it came to applying for jobs, right? Um, again, remember I studied law by accident. I didn't even know what a law firm was, by the way. <laughs> so when the law careers fair happened, I was like, okay, let's see what these law firms are about. And, you know, the ambitious me wanted to apply for the best one in the country. I put in my application, et cetera. Um, and I got a uh, rejection and they said that it's because you cannot practice law in this country hmm. if you're not a permanent resident or a citizen. 
So now it was again going back to my being an African immigrant that was affecting me not only socially, but also now in my career, you know. So as much as I loved being at UCT, I made such great friends, et cetera. Um, you know, the, that was the downside of the experience um, was that, you know, these microaggressions of kind of being looked down upon because you're from Zimbabwe. Yeah, from a yeah. different country. Um, and then also now when you're applying for jobs, it was, you're getting rejected. You can't even practice law in the country because you're not South African or a permanent resident. So what did you end up doing after that then? Because, I mean, this almost seems like, oh, you know, my, my life is on hold mm-hmm. uh, because I can't do what I've trained to do in, in the country that I've trained to do it in. What was, what was the next step for you then? That's actually how Canada happened. Um, so I was very set on practicing big law. So that's working for uh, big law firms that, you know, um, represent the biggest corporations um, in the world or in the country or whatever, however you want to put it. Um, so, you know, my country, again, I've mentioned about the economic crisis we've been in for years. <laughs> um, practicing big, big law in Zimbabwe is not really feasible. Right. So I had to look elsewhere. Um, but before that, you know, I, I, I'm someone who believes in exhausting all options, you know, because I'd seen, you know, certain Zimbabweans students who had done, I mean, they hadn't, they weren't lawyers, but they had used their law degree to get, you know, other jobs or whatever. Mm. And I tried to exhaust those means or even like try, cause South Africa, especially Johannesburg, I want to say it is the New York of Africa. So you have a lot of like, what they call the magic circle law firms, which are the biggest uh, big law firms in, in London. Mm. And then you have some of your white shoe uh, law firms, which are your Wall Street kind of uh, law firms that have their you know Africa offices located in Johannesburg. So I thought, okay, um, maybe they will have more you know leeway because they have an international mandate as opposed to these local firms that, you know, just cater for South Africa. Um, And they were very willing to, but their only issue is that I couldn't be called to the bar or admitted as an attorney, as they call it in South Africa, because I was not a South African or a permanent resident, right? So, yeah, so that's how Canada then happened. I literally sat on my computer in my little tiny room and, um, and, um, you know, looked for a country that I could stay in, that was number one. I was not getting, I was not getting kicked out again. <laughs> and number two, obviously had a healthy economy and um, had, you know, some prestigious firms that I could potentially work for and, you know, do the kind of work I was looking for. So, yeah, so I, that happened to be Canada's. Canada's known for being very immigrant friendly um, and Toronto, especially it's very diverse, and that's something that really drew me to the city. Was that um, having come from South Africa, where you know being an immigrant was very was was a negative thing. I was now moving to a city where apparently forty five percent of the population are immigrants. It's like, wow, this is awesome. You know, it's not such a bad thing. So. Yeah, so that's how then um, Canada happened. As soon as I finished law school, um, applied for my master's program, 
I applied for a program that actually had an internship component to it so that I could get a foot in the door into the, the big, big firms. And I was lucky enough to have made it. That's a whole story. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. And that's how I'm here now. Excellent. Congratulations on that. I mean, thank you. It's, it's, it sounds like it's been an interesting, trying journey, mm-hmm. uh, but you've made it to, you know, what, as again, going back to what you said, you know, believing in your own dreams and, mm-hmm. and you've gotten to that point where you're realizing and living that dream that you had as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, switching gears for a little bit uh, along the way, you know, to this point, um, who have been some interesting leaders uh, that you've been inspired by? You mentioned your mom, you know, yeah. being one of them, yeah. um, you know, t- tell us about that uh, and, and any others in your life that, that have inspired you along, along the way. Okay. Well, before we get into that, actually, I just want to say to my South African people who are listening to this, <laughs> we're good. We're good. I still think South Africa is an amazing country. Cape Town is my favorite city in the world. Um, so don't take this as a tag in your country. <laughs> okay. And uh, now moving on to, do you call my mentors? Uh, yeah. So, so mentors, leaders, people that you looked up to for inspiration uh, along your own, you know, I guess, leadership journey as well. Okay. Um, yeah, like you said, my mom was definitely one of them. Oh, the the main one actually, um, because you know, my mom grew up in rural Zimbabwe, like rural Zimbabwe. Like she would, she tells me stories of you know going to school with no shoes, etc. So you know, she grew up um, not as privileged as my you know. I've been and my siblings have been because of her hard work. Um, but her dad believed in educating his daughters um, and his kids generally. But, you know, at their time, um, girls going to school was a big thing. Right. Um, and he really believed in in educating his daughters. And she did really well at school um, and managed to go to university. And yeah, now she is. She works, she's been working for the United Nations for over 20 years. She has like, yeah, she's a boss lady. <laughs> very good. I, I can see that you're really proud of her. I am very proud of her. So she's done very well. And for me, um, my mom is a reminder of the importance of representation and the importance of empowering women, etc. Because if I could see it in my mom, I could see it in myself. You know, so, okay, then that's that. And then um, when I was in law school, um, a friend of mine introduced me to, she's one of like the top lawyers in Zimbabwe. Her name is Fadzai Mahere. Um, So Fadzai Mahere actually went to our high school, but she left before. She's um, a little bit older than me. Um, She is one of the, top advocates in Zimbabwe. Um, and now she's actually, um, in politics. Um, she's, um, I, I forgot her role. I think secretary of education for the opposition party in Zimbabwe. Um, she's phenomenal. Honestly, my friend introduced me to her when I realized that South Africa was not going to be an option. I did look to Zimbabwe as well. You know, I was not just like, (laughs) okay, South Africa is failing. Let me, you know, 
go to Canada straight away. I actually did, while I was still in law school, I interned in Zimbabwe because okay. I wanted to make an informed decision that for sure, this is not where I want to be. And the person I then was connected to was Fadzai Mahere, who went to the same high school as me, but she went to the University of Zimbabwe, then she went to Cambridge for her master's. Um, and she could have worked for these big firms in in London. I think she may have worked for them for a little bit, but she decided to come home. So I found that intriguing because she had done something that I wanted to do, but went back home, right? So I wanted to hear what, you know, her motivation was behind that. And she's someone who is very, very passionate about our country and wants to give back. And, you know, she's, her practice is doing really, really well. Um, but she ended up being one of like one of my main mentors in law school and up until I left Zimbabwe, actually. Um, she's someone who I really look up to because getting into politics in Zimbabwe <laughs> as a woman and not only a woman, she's a woman who went to private school who speaks with a twang. <laughs> <laughs> Nice, very nice. You know, they they just kind of look at you like, what, you don't have a place here, you know, but she, she still, you know, um, stands up for what she believes is right and has managed to, she ran an independent campaign, although she didn't win, she had really picked up a lot of momentum. um, And now she's joined the opposition party and hopefully one day she'll be our president. So go for if you listen to this. <laughs> yeah. So those two, and then just on a general note, like I think this every black woman's role model, Oprah. Oh, of course, of course, Mama O. Mama O. Mama O is amazing. Uh, Mama O has been a role model for me. Funny enough, spiritually, she, I like the way that she lets her spirituality lead her career. I love that. And I want to be able to lead from the inside out. So those are my role models. Awesome. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so going on in terms of some of your own reflections and lessons that you've learned, um, what would you say, as, I guess, give us a, an example of probably a life-changing experience uh, that, that you've gone through that has really sort of given you some, uh, some cause to pause and, and think and reflect and, and gain some interesting lessons from that? Um, it's not anything too dramatic. It's literally something I've just been realizing now. Um, that's just made me pause and just reflect. And that is the importance of representation. Oh my goodness. Um, like I said, I grew up in a country where black excellence was a norm, where the color, I never, ever thought that the color of my skin, you know, is, is a factor in anything. But obviously as I have, you know, lived in different countries, I've actually was talking to one of my friends uh, recently and I was telling her that black experiences are not all the same. I've experienced the black experience of in my own country where I'm a majority um, I'm accepted. Everyone is like me and everyone's doing well and no one looks down on me. I've experienced the black experience of being an, an immigrant in an African country, a black woman in an African country um, and the discrimination that comes with that. I've experienced the black experience 
of being a minority in North America, you know? Um, and recently I, you know, like I said, it's not, it was not like a earth shattering moment, but it was just, it was earth shattering to me actually, um, internally because, um, I remember meeting some girl, a, a couple of girls, uh, here and you know they asked me like what I do and they said that and I said I'm a lawyer they're like oh isn't that just like for white people you know and it made me really realize the importance the privilege that I've had because I've come here to Canada to be honest and I'm like you know what's so why are people complaining about like you know not being on base for the color of your skin whatever just work hard and just right. do it you know <laughs> but i learned that i was privileged that's me speaking from if we can call it black privilege yeah. which is growing up in a country where you're a majority and everyone is you know who looks like you is doing wow yeah right yeah. so um I realized that, no, I cannot impose my way of thinking here. I have to understand that I'm in a different context where, you know, the, the black people who've grown up here don't know what it looks like to be in a space where you see lots of black lawyers on Bay Street, um, black or doctors yeah. or wherever, yeah. you know. So for me, what I've learned is, I had a, an aha moment, as Mama O calls it, which is I am where I am and who I am because of what I grew up seeing. And it is my role and responsibility to, you know, to empower people in some way. I'm not in this position just for myself. Mm. I always say at work, because I'm the only black associate in our Toronto office, I always say I come as one, but I stand as 10,000. Because I know who I represent. And I always say to myself that I should use this opportunity to bring others up. They may not end up in law. They may end up elsewhere. But I want to be able to use this quote unquote privilege that I've come with to Canada to, you know, help um, other young women, other black women or men who may not have had the privilege that I had to think the same, you know, not to say my mindset is like the best mindset. No, sure. but I'm yeah. just saying. You're bringing others along with you. I'm bringing others along with me, but the only reason I've been able to come and achieve what I've achieved in a space of four or five years is because I had the privilege of growing up in a space where I was told I can do anything and everything. That's true. Right? And, and, I, and I know that you recently, even at your firm, you, you organized one of their first Black History Month events uh, and also brought in some young people into the firm. Um, what was that like? How was, did you face any challenges just even putting something like that together in, in a space that, you know, where you're the only one um, uh, uh, within your field? Yeah. So it wasn't actually, it didn't end up being a Black History Month event, actually, because um, we had to have it in, I think it was in March of last year. Either, either way, it happened. Um, I didn't really, I, you know what was amazing was um, the support that I got. And, you know, as, and maybe this is because I came from, you know, um, 
South Africa, where the racial tensions are still pretty intense, right? Um, I I was a little nervous, you know, to tell the, my white colleagues about this event. I wasn't going to be able to do it by myself. I needed their help, right? Um, but I got the most amazing support, and I... It was it was honestly the most amazing experience. I was like, wow, this is this is awesome. And for me, that just spoke to hopefully a positive future. If this is because a lot of the people who helped me with the event were millennials, mm-hmm. right? So I just hope that this is um a reflection of what the future, you know, holds, which is an inclusive, diverse you know, workforce in Canada. So it was good. It was a really good event. We had 17 students come from Downsview High School. Um, We showed them around the firm. They were very shocked to, they'd never been up 44, (laughs) on the 44th floor. Of any uh, building. (laughs) Of any building. You know, some of them had never been downtown Toronto. You know, Um, so they were very, very excited. And, you know, we showed them around the office, like what a lawyer's office looks like. And we have three black partners at my firm and we had a and a session. And, you know, um, I kind of I came up with the questions and, you know, they were very confront. I want to call them confronting, but they were very real questions. Mm. Like, you know, I asked, does the fact that I'm black matter for me to be a lawyer? You know, and they answered stuff like that. So, you know, um, the reason I hosted it for high school kids was because I think we want, I personally think that it's important that they leave high. That's where we start molding their way of thinking. So, you know, because at that point, at that stage, I think there are 16, between 16 and 18. So they're now thinking about the future of where they're going. And I thought it would be a good time to intervene and say, listen, this is something you could aim for. So also had our director of, I guess she's kind of like our director of student programs, showing them that, okay, right here, right now you're here. So for you to get here, you're going to have to do this, follow this path, go A, B, C, and D, and then you end up here. And that's something that most, most young kids, most young black kids that are aspiring into the space may not even have have the the privilege as you mentioned of of knowing you know oh, just yeah, even that sure. path to get to where their their dreams um uh lie uh they, they may not look at that um and, and congratulations on, on putting something like that together you. you know again it's it's leading in a way that you're making an impact and influencing someone else's lives uh or, or other people's lives which is you know one of the premises of, of this show is to 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 highlight these stories mm-hmm. um so just a, a final question um given your experience now and where you are at the moment what would you say to a young uh black african woman uh like yourself who you know is in high school or in elementary school um that has a dream um and would like to achieve it How, what, what advice would you give to that to that girl i always like speaking to the girl that feels unseen in the room that feels that their voice is not heard because I was that girl, (laughs) you know, um, I was that girl that 
did not have all the, you know, we used to wear uniforms and like you'd get all these badges of achievements. And like yeah. my friends would have like 10 and I had just my name. <laughs> <laughs> my achievement was being born. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. But I want to speak particularly to that girl because they don't only face the, you know, challenge of being a woman. And, you know, also being black, but also not feeling heard. Mm -hmm. And I want to say to them that they should always dream big. Go for whatever your heart desires. Just think of if failure was not possible, if your voice was heard, if people thought that you were significant, what would you do with your life? And do that. What people think, whatever, you know, uh, what people say about you, where you are in life right now doesn't matter. What matters is keeping your head in the game, right? And what I've also learned is that, you know, these things that you go through in terms of feeling like you're not heard, you know, that you're insignificant, you're never going to stop feeling that way. Mm. <laughs> That's the truth That's of true. the matter. That's true. It's, it's, it's the whole concept of yeah. imposter syndrome. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So if you're facing that at a young age right now, you are learning at an amazing school, my girl, that a lot of people who, you know, are, are people your age, maybe they don't, you know, they're the cream of the crop and, you know, they don't, you know, feel um, insignificant, maybe the way you do. You are learning something so, so important and so, so significant because I'm at a, as a lawyer now, I have moments where I've had clients that are, not, you know, necessarily the nicest or I've worked with colleagues that are not necessarily the nicest, but that experience of feeling less than and being able to overcome it and still going for what I, you know, wanted to go for really built that thick skin that I need. Because at the end of the day, what I've learned is that your worth is not determined by anyone else. It's determined by you. So that's what I would like to say. Fantastic. Really, really, really good. <laughs> good conversation Chedza. Um, so we're just at a point where, where we do what I call a rapid fire session. Okay. Uh, so I'm just going to ask you a few uh, very simple questions and you've got, you know, five seconds to 10 seconds to just respond with whatever answer comes into your mind. Okay. Uh, so what's a book that you're currently reading? The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Okay. Um, and what is a productivity hack that you usually employ? Waking up early. Okay, good. Good. Is there a favorite place that you like to escape to? The gym. And who is your biggest cheerleader or supporter? My mom. Oh, isn't that nice? <laughs> Hi, mom. <laughs> and last one, if money or resources were not an issue, what would you do? Hmm. I would help young take entrepreneurs um particularly of color um you know i i recently listened to something that says that you know there is so much talent everywhere but opportunity is not equally distributed so i would want to tap into you know the talent that people always that they don't look into because i think that you know if we collaborate with those people would see a lot of amazing things coming out of that. So how, working with tech entrep startup entrepreneurs who are maybe in developing countries. 
Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Shedza, for joining us on on this episode. I really believe that you know that little girl is probably listening now, or or her parents are listening, and they can, they'll certainly benefit from your story. So thank you very much for sharing with us. Thank today. you for having. And maybe it's not a little girl. Maybe it's someone my age right now. That's and true. I hope that inspired them. So. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah, as we say, everyone I believe is made to lead in some way. Yes. And you've just proven proven that that you were made to. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Made to Lead. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, and please share with others. Also, take a moment to leave a review as well. This helps us improve and also get discovered by others. You can also support by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Made to Lead Show, and by visiting our website MadeToLead.co. If you would like to be featured or know an amazing person of African descent whose story would be inspirational to others, I'd love to hear from you. Visit our website madetolead.co/getfeatured and send us a note. As you continue on your own leadership journey, remember that if you don't spread your wings, you'll never know how high or how far you can fly. So stretch your feathers because you were made to lead. Mm-hmm.